I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Week 12 edition of Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Samini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. First off, I'd like to wish everyone a happy and safe Thanksgiving. The Jets host the Dolphins on Sunday, as they often do on Thanksgiving week. And, you know, a lot of players come to mind when I think of Jets-Dolphins rivalry, and one of them will be our guest in the second quarter, and that's the great Wesley Walker, a member of the Jets' ring of honor. Can't wait to talk to Wes about some of those old Jets-Dolphins classics, and also to get his take on the Jets' current receivers, especially the promising rookie Denzel Mims. So as you know, the Jets were mathematically eliminated on Sunday with the loss to the Chargers. Kind of a dog bites man story, hardly a surprise, but it's noteworthy in this respect. Going back to 1990, this was their earliest elimination. They were close in 96 and 2004. They were both eliminated uh, in week 12, but this time week 11. You know, and the worst part, This is an expanded playoff field this year with seven teams in each conference, a greater opportunity, and the Jets still can't make it to Turkey Day. That is sad. And what's sadder is that it makes 10 years in a row out of the playoffs, an entire decade, poof, gone. The second longest playoff drought in franchise history. Um, The first was an 11-year drought from 1970 to 1980, another decade squandered. So let's take a look at this. Quick Jet History Lesson 101. 1960s, pretty decent decade, ends on a great note with a Super Bowl. 1970s, brutal. 1980s, pretty promising, four playoff appearances. 1990s, mostly bad. 2000, very good. Six playoff appearances. 2010s, brutal again. So I think I figured it out. I've answered the riddle. It's an every other decade thing for the Jets. So cheer up, folks. Things are looking up for the 2020s. I'd like to take a a moment here before I end the first quarter by commenting on a topic that is prevalent in the narrative surrounding these Jets. The idea of tanking for the number one pick, presumably Trevor Lawrence. Now let's make one thing perfectly clear. Players and coaches don't tank. Now, do some players check out on a season? Hell yeah. I've come across quite a few in my years covering the Jets. But tanking suggests an organized effort to lose, and players don't do that. Coaches, you think Adam Gase gives a damn about getting Trevor Lawrence? No way. He wants to win because believe me, no coach, no coach wants the stain of 0-16 on his record. That stain never washes away. Now, a better question, do front offices tank? Now, that's where you get into some semantics. Joe Douglas unloaded a bunch of veterans last month. Now, is that tanking 
or building for the future because it allows them to play younger players. There's a fine line there. I talked to some coaches and front office people who've been in this situation before, and let me tell you, it creates a lot of conflicting emotions. No one tries to lose, you know, to outwardly try to lose, but yet it's somewhat comforting, if that's the right word. There is some solace in knowing that the losing does lead to a pot of gold. So that's where the conflicting emotions come into play. Now, as a journalist, I have to admit, it's uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable topic to report on because everything we write about can be twisted the opposite way. For instance, if I say Sam Darnold is not playing this week, a bunch of you are going to say, well, that's good because we need to keep losing. Look, I understand the fan mentality, but no self-respecting journalist can attach tank snark. That's what I'll call it. Tank snark to every fact that is reported. Now, certainly, I have to write about the number one pick and Trevor Lawrence and the ramifications of winning and losing. But like I said, the whole tanking thing is just a really sensitive territory. And I'll give you a specific example. Let's talk about this Bless Austin situation. I was the first to raise the question about his injury on Saturday when the Jets placed him on injured reserve. I reported that it seemed odd because he practiced on Friday and limited practice, and was listed as questionable for the game. He had an MRI on Thursday to check out a sore neck muscle. And Adam Gase told us Friday that the MRI result was good. He was encouraged, and everybody thought he was going to play. When I reported on Saturday about the odd turn of events, people, especially on Twitter, started jumping to conclusions. Ah, the Jets are just tanking. They're keeping out their starting players. People, come on. Let's be realistic. We're talking about Bless Austin here, not a young Darrell Rivas. I did more reporting, and here's what I found out. At Friday's practice, Austin seemed to be, you know, bothered a little bit by his neck. In fact, I was told he was talking to his position coach about it and was talking to the trainers about it. Now, a source told me that he did fly with the team to L.A. on Friday after practice with the intention of playing in the game. So we're okay to that point. On Saturday, they got a second opinion. Another doctor looked at the MRI results and said it was best to err on the side of caution to keep him out of the game. Now, there is a difference between being out one game and three games, which is the IR minimum. Austin, I'm told, was not happy. He saw it as a minor muscle strain, and he'd be back in a few days. The Jets didn't want to take any chances with a neck, so they opted for the extremely conservative approach and put him down for three weeks. Now, is that tanking? Of course not. Again, it's Bless Austin. We're not talking about a Pro Bowl player. His absence did not affect the outcome of the game. But unfortunately, people jump to crazy conclusions. It's the world we're living in now. It's the world around an 0-10 team. Back after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
And now we're joined by one of the great players in Jets history. He's second on the Jets all-time list in receiving yards, second in receiving touchdowns, and of course, a member of the Jets ring of honor, which is the highest honor any individual player can receive from the franchise. We're of course talking about the great Wesley Walker. Wes, thanks for joining the podcast. Hey, it's always a pleasure. And you know, you can call me 24 seven. I'm glad to help you out in any way I can. Always been that way. Just with, you know, we, with Thanksgiving week and Jets Dolphins, you know, it seems like they end up playing each other a lot on Thanksgiving week. And before I get into the current team and talking about some of these young receivers that I, I know you're looking at, I just want to reminisce a little bit. When I think of Jets Dolphins, you're one of the guys who I think of, you know, because there were so many memorable Jet Dolphin games, like that game in 86, 51-45. I mean, what a great day that was. What, what flashes into your mind when you think about that game? It's funny. I can watch that over and over, the different highlights, and certainly there have been, and I, I think of even the Monday night miracle the Jets has as a, I was doing a pre and post game show and watching that game, uh, but being a part of uh, that 51, 45 and 86. And I remember just catching the one pass from Kenny O'Brien over the middle with no time left. And it was like a dream because uh, I was very, very disappointed going into that game because early on, I wasn't being utilized. And over the years I've spoken to you, I was very frustrated. And and not that it was I was jealous, but I used to get so angry, uh, you know, because Altoon would get pumped with, with 100 balls, receptions. And I've always wanted to be that type of receiver, too. And I've never had that opportunity. I think the most balls I've ever caught in one season was like 62 or something. So it was very frustrating. And I just remember going into that game, and I've always had – some pretty good success against Miami and I wasn't really being utilized and I'd hurt my groin and that I sat out of practice uh, a couple of days of practice and so I didn't know if I'd be able to even go and I remember coming to the sideline telling um, Kurt Zone be ready because they, he's not using me I you know I was very angry at Joe Walton I might as well just rest my groin and then I remember to forget Kenny O'Brien coming to the sideline and they're calling this play that we've worked on for for many, many, many years and never calling it. And I was on the sidelines. He says, Wesley, get in there. And uh, we call this play. I've been looking forward to it, you know, being in this situation. And Miami was in the right coverage and the zone coverage. And there's no way we should have stuck that in there. And I caught it in between four or five defenders right in my hands. And, I, and how I caught it in my hands, I was like, uh, so, so, I couldn't even describe the feeling and how it just stuck. It was like I was in a dream world. I don't know if it was just uh, God or just, I don't know what happened. It just wasn't me. I just felt like God was just on my side. I don't even know how that worked out. And we scored with no time left, go into overtime. And, you know, we, we were able to run, play action stuff. And, you know, Kenny O'Brien called my number again. And, it was, and that was Joe Walton, you know, calling plays at the time. And mm -hmm. we went deep on the third and final, or you know, at least my fourth uh, touchdown on the uh, final play. And, uh, and that's all she wrote. And one of the things that I do regret, uh, just because I was very modest, I remember after celebrating in zone with my teammates, I just run into the uh, locker room. I was always just modest. I never celebrated. But I wish I would have went back to find Kenny O'Brien because he just had an awesome day and he outplayed, outdueled um, um, Dan Marino. And I just had so much respect for him. And 
He's one of the best I've ever played with. I had a good, great relationship with him. And I, and I was watching it today, to believe it or not, just the highlights. And I remember him seeing the highlights with him raising his arms up and giving this, like, gunshot moves with his arms. And I'm like, why didn't I go back there to celebrate with him? And I remember getting interviewed, and they thought who should be the MVP. And I said it should be Kenny O'Brien. They gave it to me. I remember getting interviewed after the game. And I don't even have tape of that. You know, I wish I had so I could review that to just to kind of reminisce. But I don't get tired of looking at it. <laughs> well, and and for the listeners who are wondering, Wesley, check out these numbers, folks. Wesley caught six passes for 194 yards and four touchdowns in that game. And we're not talking nickel and dime touchdowns. We're talking 65, 50, 21, and 43-yard touchdowns. I, I would have to say – probably one of the greatest individual offensive performances in franchise history. I mean, it was just, I mean, and Kenny was great. Like you said, Wes, Kenny was a real classy guy and and that was his, probably his best game ever. Just, I think most Jet fans of our age would agree, probably one of the greatest games ever for the franchise. Oh, no question about it. And uh, other than the, the you know, I keep think that Meadowlands Miracle Monday night, that was a pretty good one. But for me, I will never forget that. And the fact that I never got the ball like I uh, wanted to or get pumped with the ball, I had to make the best out of what I got. So I had to make the best out of it. And so I did have a high average of catches, but it certainly wasn't enough. And And if you ever want to get to the they say Hall of Fame, you, you have to be durable, you have to play in a lot of games, and, and you got to produce when you do get the opportunities. And I just felt like um, with my injuries, I just never got the opportunities that I, I really wanted to deserve to put those numbers up there. It could have been a lot better. Well, you came into the league in 1977 as a second-round pick out of Cal Berkeley. And I, I don't know how many of the fans realize this or not, but, you know, you're legally blind in one eye. So I'm wondering how – I mean, how was that received by the teams, like going through the draft process, like getting through the draft, uh, you know, with all the checkups and stuff they do? I mean, how did that play? I'm wondering. Well, well this is a lot different now. You know, the stuff that, the, the, you know, I, we didn't have the, um, the combines where we had to go there and get checked out. Uh, I remember Bob Reese coming out to visit. My blindness, a lot of people just didn't even know. I kept it really hid in high school. And I just remember as a youngster, I loved playing sports, and I didn't want anything to interfere with that. So I actually just kept it hid. Nobody really checked my eyes until I really got to a pro level. Even in college, there was never a big deal made about it. Nobody really even knew about it. I don't know why. And I really, when I look back on my career, I wish I could have maybe – developed it more or maybe started a charity to try to help people with handicaps or whatever. And I never thought about it from that perspective. I only thought it was going to keep me from playing. I know my mom was terrified because I used to play baseball and I got hit in my good eye and she's worried about me going blind. And now that I've gotten older and I've talked to different ophthalmologists where they think I should wear some type of prescription glasses because, you know, you could be walking somebody, let's say a landscape or a rock or something, and I get hit in my good eye, you know, I'd be blind, you know. So I never once thought about it. I never thought about wearing shields or anything like that. But I do wish I would have been able to publicize it more just to help other people. Uh, and I remember when I got drafted by the Jets, they, they were more worried about my knee. I had a very serious knee injury. In my senior year, I was, supposed to, I was projected to be a number one wide receiver coming out. Even the Jets had said I was going to be their number one pick. 
until I got hurt, you know? So there was a lot of concern there. And so when I got to the Jets to go through physical, I'm running the 40, I think I ran 4-3, and I'm catching balls like crazy. They took me out of practice and signed me right away. But it wasn't until I had to read the eye chart and that they really made uh, Leon Hess very angered because uh, Marvin Powell was their number one draft choice. He had loose knees. And then um, they found out I couldn't see when I had to read the eye chart. I made a joke about it. I can see the big E because everybody remembers the big E, the first letter. I couldn't even see that, you know. And I know what it made um, Leon Hess limit. He just drafted a guy with number one with new season and a receiver, no less, that's blind. And uh, so I'm very I'm proud of that. And, 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 and really, to be honest with you, because of these things, Teams started getting together, doing pre-physicals, and that's really how the, the combine sort of got started. Wow, that's a, it's amazing. I mean, I could just imagine. Leon Hess, of course, is the, the late owner of the Jets. He was the owner at the time. I could just imagine the look on his face when he, he's like, we just drafted a wide receiver in the second round who can't see out of one eye. I mean, that- Yeah, plus, you know, what a bad knee, and, and plus I can't see. So it, it was kind of funny, and uh, – uh, but I remember just going out. How did you compensate? Out, how did, like, yeah. like, were it I don't certain, know. You know, certain I balls think, you couldn't see that well? Or no, how I, just, I just remember this as a as a little kid. I loved baseball. And I, mm. I remember we traveled around the U.S. And my dad was in the service. And I lived all in you know, Germany and Europe. And, and I remember we were in Washington, I think. And I'm playing catch. And I remember I still have this picture in a Giants uniform. I wanted to be Willie Mays. And my dad's playing catch. And notice my eye used to drift off. And I was very, very self-conscious about it because people used to make fun of me, call me cross-eyed. My, I would wear glasses sometimes just so that you couldn't see my eye. I would never look people in the eye. I always, always try to look away or move my eyes around. And it was very embarrassing. And um, I, I, the one thing that I had, I think, because people would always wonder, you know, because I remember I, I did some PR work for Grumman and mm-hmm. they gave me a physical where they checked my eyes and the doctor's looking at me like, you don't have any depth perception. And maybe that's why I banged up my cars because I couldn't see a lot. But mm-hmm. I really can't see, especially at, at night and, 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 and certain things that uh, I would be aware of that the normal person, you know, would be able to adjust to. But I think because as a youngster, having to deal with this at an early age, you know, being born that way, I was just used to it. And the thing, though, I think when I tell doctors, I still had peripheral vision where I was aware of object on the side. I just couldn't see out of it. It's the weirdest, weirdest thing. I can't even explain it. But I've had ophthalmologists and different eye doctors who say I, I still to this day. And matter of fact, I had this one doctor, Dr. Schneck, who was operating on a kid and he was a big jet fan. And he had me come out to visit with him because he was going to have to remove his eye. And to this day, he didn't know how I would do that, but I was able to help other people. And that's why that was one of the things I never uh, had it publicized. And I never knew you could have an effect on kids and people. I had a family fly me out to California because uh, I, I used to encourage this one kid. I've known him. I'm still friends with him. He's married now. He went to Cal. He actually went to Cal because I went to Cal. Um, uh, they flew me out to his graduation. And I, I'd known him since he was nine. And I would send him stuff, send him articles on me about my blindness. And he had to have several surgeries to finally had to have the eye removed. And 
there was a whole story that went through his, you know, since, you know, middle school and on up to, you know, high school and, and college and stuff. And I never knew that I could encourage somebody. And his family flew me out to California for his graduation. They did a whole big article in, um, out there in uh, Berkeley and Oakland. And it was on the front page of the sports and just, they wanted to thank me, uh, just how much of a great influence I was on this kid. And the, uh, one kid that uh, I know the doctor was operating on, who was a big Jet fan, um, and I was really good friends with this kid, just to encourage him. And he ended up getting shot in the eye a second time because uh, fooling around before and he's always in trouble. And you try to encourage kids to try to stay out of trouble. And sometimes, you, you know, you, you, they can't avoid situations, but you can only try to help and motivate. And there's a lot of good stories out there, but I've been able to help people that who not only like with blindness, but just has a handicap. And so it wasn't over for me where, you know, I've been able to tell people, hey, I was always called, I was too small. And you know, I'm not a big guy. And I played 13 years in the National Football League. And, you know, they said I couldn't see. I, I was always a fast receiver. I always had the stigma you couldn't catch. And I prided myself in working hard to be able to catch with my hands and not cradling in, you know, just being a real good receiver. And that's why I was so frustrated as a New York Jet. And I hate to say this, you know, I just didn't get the opportunities. I wanted to be the receivers catching a hundred ball like Altoon or just around the league. I wanted to be a Jerry Rice, and you had that ability. And then a couple would not uh, staying healthy. That kind of hurt me. But I wanted to be that type of receiver, and that's where my frustration comes in. But I'm very thankful for the career that I did have and for the ability that I had and the fact that I could also help other kids who have had handicaps and that it's not over. And, and you can still have accomplishments if you're willing to put the time and work hard. Now, Wes, I just want to turn the page. You know, I know, you, you know, you live locally, you follow the Jets and they're going through a really hard season. They're 0 and 10. And, you know, your rookie year in 77, you guys were 3 and 11. Um, so that was a really rough year. So you know what they're going through. Uh, what, I mean, what do you see when you see this team play? Um, is, is it frustrating for you as a former player? To, you, you want to see them do well. They're not doing well. What, what kind of emotions do you get from watching them? Well, hey, I'm, I'm a Jet fan. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'll root for them. I'm not going to turn on them. I, I feel for the players that are there. Uh, it takes a lot from ownership to the, the players. It, it's it's uh, it, from the owners, you know. It's just it's very difficult when you see this dysfunction. And it's got to be more difficult when you have such high hopes. I mean, when they drafted Sam, and I'm looking at this Becton. I'm looking at Perryman and Mims. And then couple that with injuries. And, you know, and I, I can't imagine being Herndon right now who had such high hopes. And the defense, I don't know, know what happened with them. You know, just you just get in this doldrum, and, and it's not fun. Uh, the one frustrating thing about me, and I've been through those three and 11s, four and 12s, and what used to piss me off, that guys would have their bags packed. I wasn't used to losing. And you, you see some guys that almost they just don't even care. But you have to blot that out and take care of your job. So I was here for the duration. I stayed even uh, even after the seasons were over because I was a New Yorker. I'm a Jet, and I'm going to do the best that I can possibly be. And and one of my regrets is sometimes you go to like, hey, could I could I've given even more, you know? So it's got to be frustrating. And I think the Jets are going to turn a page and they're going to learn from it. It's a good experience. It's, I don't know if they're going to win any games. If they win one game, it's but you've got to you still have to 
practice. You have to, you do your film study. You still have to put in the time, you know, as if you were winning, you know. And if you don't have a, a collective unit doing that and coaches are included, you know, I don't know what to tell you when it gets to that point. But that losing culture, it's just hard to get out of once you start. And in the last, I would say, two or three weeks, it just have improved and they're getting some guys healthy. Uh, but it, it, I can't tell you, even when I look back on my career or when I started a career, even when I did the radio and TV stuff, injuries are a big factor and, and it can change things and to key people. And so I can't say the Jets have uh, have that, but they're going to have to come up with some major, major decisions, you know, especially depending on where they finish up. Uh, are they going to move on from Sam Darnold? Because uh, some people think that he doesn't have the tools around him. But also, they've had the tools that have been injured, and guys haven't performed. And 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 whether you you realize it or not, the defense, those guys have to play too. It helps the offense, and it works hand in hand. So they have a lot of issues they're going to have to deal with. I think they're more than capable. Uh, I just don't know what direction they're going to go in from the coaching staff and uh, from just the overall team aspect of it. But it's got to be very, very difficult. And I know I, I speak to Bruce Harper every week. He'll call me, you know, when I, I'll be out fishing. I haven't gotten the game. He's already calling me. Can you believe this happened? The, you know, I, I haven't even seen the play. But yeah. I know they do have capable guys. And I know the guys are going to have to stay healthy. But they're going to have to look at their overall picture of the team and the direction they're heading. Just whatever decisions that they're they make and they just have to get the right people. And and sometimes you can think you have the right people. Look at McCarthy. I thought McCarthy should have been a guy that's here. Look at the struggles he's having down in uh, Dallas. It just yeah. doesn't happen that way. Look at Belichick. They're saying Dom and Brady is gone now. And can he do it by himself? You got to have some talent. Brady's got all the talent in the world. They're struggling. There's no formula there. But I do know this. You have to play Every week, I'm looking at Lamar Jackson. Where's he been now? You know what I mean? It's a team thing. There's a lot of variables that have to happen. Every year is different. I I think of Cam Newton. He he went to the Super Bowl. I was at that Super Bowl. He hasn't been the same since that. It just doesn't happen. And that's why guys have to know that you may not get this opportunity ever again. And that's why you got to play like it's your last. And I don't know how that happens once they get the talent and coaching and um, ownership together. But they definitely have a lot of decisions they have to make. But I'm really pleased. And when you just talked about some of the receivers that they have to see Mims and yeah, what do you think of Mims? I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you. Uh, you know, it kind of reminds me. He's six foot three, and yeah. I remember Al Toon was six four. Yeah. He, he reminds me of Toon a little bit. What What do you think of Mims? He's been pretty impressive. Well, I so haven't far. seen enough of him, but he's big and strong, and he he can go after it. He's got some good hands, and he just needs the experience. And I really think it. You know, but I wish I was there at practice where I can really see the guys and how they can really develop because I can only see parts of it, you know, on TV. And sometimes I don't get a chance to really see a lot of the games too because you're busy running around and you don't get a chance to really see how they run routes and whatnot. But you know the potential is there. And he wasn't there at the beginning of the season. But you see the potential. I saw that with Sam Darnold. But right now, uh, of the last couple of years, I haven't seen that. We've seen flashes of it. So until you develop chemistry – and consistency, and that's by playing each and every week. And 
a lot of it's coaching too. You know, you got to get to bring that that stuff out in guys, and I just don't think they have that right now. I mean, I look at Adam Gase and, and what I've seen previously with other teams, and then you see guys that uh, have uh, been under him and go other places. How they got rid of Robbie Anderson, I don't know. I used to be screaming. Yeah, you used to screaming that they never used him. Why aren't they using a guy? I don't care if he's talk, they talk about, well, he hasn't got the, the short game or the uh, being able to run routes, and he's got, we know he can run deep. Well, freaking run him deep. They never did that, you know? And so I'm not taking away from Mims and, uh, and Perriman. I just have not seen enough of them, and they haven't been healthy. But I think the talent is there. Yeah, I remember you've always been high on Robbie Anderson. I've, we've talked over the years, and, and you always felt that Robbie was underutilized, and, and now he's gone. And, 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 they, and they admitted they made a mistake by not re-signing him, and, and now he's thriving in Carolina. I mean, he's having a really good year, and the Jets – Man, they could really use a guy like that. Well, you can't coach speed. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and as, a, as a coach, you, you have to be able to see certain things. And, and why people don't see that, I saw that within Lamb Jones. Uh, and I know Dan Henning, when I had him, he saw something in me. He knew I could just blow by people. But he taught me some other things that made me even better. And as a coach, you have to be able to do that. You know, and some people are just confined to the way I want to do it. This is the way you have to do it. Instead of using those tools that you have, what you do best, you know. I mean, I've seen Sam Darnold on the run throw some stuff. Well, develop that type of situation. But some people are stuck in their own mindset of doing things and not looking at how can we develop the, their talents within our scheme and around them also? I never understand that as a coach. I really don't. So I take it you're not the biggest Adam Gase fan. No, I wasn't a big fan of it only because of what I heard coming out of Miami. And that was really the main thing. And I'm a player's guy. You know, you want to respect the coach. But when you have guys that are coming out saying things about him, and then you see the guys that go other places and then they're thriving, there's something to that. I was listening to Keyshawn Johnson. I couldn't even say it any better. He's just not very good. Maybe he's given the talent over, or he's to play calling to the, the, uh, his uh, coordinator, you know, to try to call it. That's not working either. Right. I just don't think they have the ability to do that. Mm. It, it, well, it's shocking that there are people in this league that will tear an organization down. And, they, you know, I'm not just saying, I'm just looking at just what, what's happened over the last couple of years. I don't see it. I just don't see it. And I'm questioning Sam Darno at this point. I've seen flashes, but. You know, I, I hate to say it, but I think they should. You know, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want – I hate seeing them lose. We don't want to go in there tanking. But mm-hmm. this kid, Trevor Lawrence, I would like to see the Jets get him. I mean, if, if you have Sam Darnold and a chance to get this kid, what do you do? What do you do? What would you do, Rich? Well, if I have the first pick in the draft, I'm going to take Trevor Lawrence. because, yes. uh, and, and not only because he's a really good prospect – because like salary cap wise, it also makes a ton of sense to have the, the rookie, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and like I said, it's not a really, uh, uh, um, I don't know, you know what to say about Sam. I, I'm, it's not an indictment on him. It's just, he's been injured. I've seen flashes, but this year, especially I have, even last year, I had a lot of doubts because I mean, I sit up there watching Bruce Harper, and he's getting ready to score. Bruce is saying, oh, he's going to do this. I'm like, watch him throw an interceptor. And sure enough, he did. I just got lucky and made the call. But mm-hmm. I haven't seen it. He, I don't have the confidence. He's been hurt. But I will say this. 
if he gets with the right coaching staff, he will probably go someplace else and star out. <laughs> That'd be tough. A lot, of be people, a lot of people think he needs talent around you. But in this league, you got to play now. You can't be waiting. He could get hurt next year. So you get a guy that's – I mean, they talked about Trevor Lawrence's junior freshman year that he, he was that capable. That's why some people think about him. But mm-hmm. right now there's too many question marks right now with the Jets. And, yeah. and you just got to get every opportunity that you can. But I, I look at this behemoth lineman, Becton. Even he got hurt. You know, the Jets are just snake bitten. You know, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. I, I just, like, I, I tell my wife every time, I do not understand it. What happens when you come to the Jets? Yeah, well, that's one of the great mysteries of sports. But, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's been a long time since they've, look, 10 years out of the, in a row out of the playoffs. That That's yeah. really, Yeah, that's really a long hard. time. But I will say this. I think about, as a former player, it's just so hard to get there. I think of Cam Newton. He went to the Super Bowl. He has not been the same. I look at Lamar Jackson. He had an MVP year. Where is he at now? It's just so hard. You know, I don't know what Patrick Mahomes is going to do it, but I'll tell you what, the Raiders gave him a run for their money. They're more than capable. I, I just know this. Anybody can be beat, and you have to play each and every week. There's no gimmies out there. And the teams that, you know, are consistent and they, they're into what their, their jobs are, each and every one of them, a lot of it's lucky. Sometimes you got to stay healthy, you know. And, and sometimes people get hurt and it affects uh, different teams in different ways. And the ones that get hot and stay hot, those are the ones that are going to, you know, ultimately go to the Super Bowl. You know, look at Pittsburgh, where they were last year and where they are now, you know. Yeah. You, in this league, you just don't know. That's the scary part. The battle of attrition sometimes, you know, yep. it's, uh, that's, that's the league, you know, yes. that's the way it is. Uh, well, look, Wesley, uh, this has been a thrill for me to have you on the podcast and I'm sure Jet fans enjoyed this. We love hearing, you know, stories from, from the past and also get some of your thoughts on the present uh, and, and just how you're helping people. That is a huge thing. You're an inspiration, and you've become a real good friend to me over the years, and I, and I do cherish that. So I can't thank you enough for, for being on Flight Deck this week. Well, I, you know, Rich, you know, it, I've had good relationships with the, the press, and, hey, you've wrote some stuff on, on me, too, that I might not be happy about, but I always respect you, and you can call me 24-7. I'm glad to help you know me. It's just part of the business, but I appreciate your friendship, and I appreciate your call, and I'll help you in any way I can. All right, great. Thanks so much, Wes. Okay, thank you. Anytime. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And welcome back to the third quarter of Flight Deck. And I must say, there were so many Twitter questions this week that I am going to have to do a special edition. I'm going to go on Twitter before Sunday's game and answer 
as many as I can, because obviously I can't get to all of them here on the podcast, but I am so thankful that so many of you guys were interested in asking a question. So thank you. Really, I really appreciate it. And the most popular question this week, a, a lot of folks wondering, is there any chance that Adam Gase could uh, save his job? And uh, no, I, I don't think that is likely at all. I mean, Let's face reality, the Jets are probably going to either go 0-16 or 1-15 at best. Maybe they win a couple of games, and I do not foresee any way that ownership or the front office could uh, rationalize keeping a 2-14 and coach. That would be extremely, extremely unlikely. So uh, I don't say it's a fait accompli. Because things can change, and we know Christopher Johnson has a soft spot for Adam Gase, but it would be uh, a Hail Mary for sure. And let's get to the specific questions. At Greg Roman 9, was Woody Johnson involved in the hiring of Joe Douglas or Gase? Does he have any allegiance to them, or will he be... Or will they be viewed as hires that his brother made while he was away in England? Uh, no allegiance whatsoever to Adam Gase, as far as I can tell. And I think... Adam and Woody have only met once or twice. I know they met at a preseason game a couple of summers ago, uh, but I do not believe they've really met or established a relationship. So there is absolutely no allegiance there and, and nothing that would keep Woody Johnson from firing Adam Gase. Now, Douglas is a different story. Now, I'm not sure they've ever met Douglas and Woody Johnson, but... Douglas has four years left on his contract at about $3 million uh, a year. So I think Woody Johnson has allegiance to $12 million, you know, in cash. So I don't think he's going to toss that overboard. So that's why Joe Douglas will be back. Next one from Matt Mo Guests. When will we see Cameron Clark and why not, you know, when will we ever see James Morgan? Uh, you know, Clark is not ready to play, according to the coaches. This is what they tell me. Um, so I do not think you'll see him this year unless there's just a, uh, an injury situation. As for Morgan, Adam Gaze made it quite clear recently when I asked him about that. I mean, it's it's a last resort situation. You know, it, Darnold, Flacco, and Mike White would have to be injured. And even at that point, I'm not so sure they wouldn't re-sign David Fales and go with him. But clearly they do not believe James Morgan is anywhere near ready to play. So, no. That will not happen this year. At D Solano 1997, what do you think about Arnold? What would you? Th what do you think about Darnold's career as a Jet overall? Well, let me just throw out some words that I would use to describe Darnold's career: disappointing, sad, organizational failure, um, injuries. Mono. I mean, these are some of the things coming to mind. Look, I, I've been a Sam supporter the whole time, uh, but it's hard to ignore the facts. He's right now, since his rookie year over the last three seasons, he's ranked 36 out of 36 quarterbacks in QBR. So, you know, it's been a rough go for Sam Darnold. I do think there's some untapped potential there. I fear that we may never see it with the Jets. Next. At Organic Grandpa asks, other than Becton, are there any offensive linemen on the roster worth starting next year, or does Douglas look to fill multiple spots? Well, we have Becton at left tackle, and Connor McGovern will be back at center because he's got an $8 million guarantee for next year. So they're not going to cut him loose, even though his play this year has been, quite frankly, 
just kind of average at best. I think George Fant will probably be a cap casualty. And I think both guards, Lewis and Van Roten, are expendable. Although Van Roten's contract is cap friendly and they could keep him next year, even in a backup role, um, you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't bust their cap at all. Lewis's cap number is a little higher next year, so he could be a casualty. So long answer short, yeah, he's going to be looking to fill multiple spots. At Metalhead John NC, uh, are there any sleeper candidates for a likely head coaching opening? You know, we've talked about a lot of the names, but here's a sleeper to keep an eye on. Iowa State coach Matt Campbell. He was uh, mentioned as a brief possibility with the Jets last year. He's doing another sensational job with uh, Iowa State this year. Keep an eye on him. At Bill Maniatis, does Mims and the receiving core... Uh, performance lately, uh, think that we need to change the thought that we need another wide receiver. And what about the tight ends? Well, Mims has been impressive lately, but I don't think it changes the perception or the, or the reality that the Jets do need another wide receiver next year. I mean, they have Crowder under contract for another year. They'll have Mims. But after that, you know, you got some maybes. Jeff Smith is a maybe. Vincent Smith is a maybe. They need another wide receiver. It would not shock me at all if they use another high draft pick on a wide receiver. They they need to add another receiver. As for the tight ends, I think Chris Herndon will be back for the final year of his rookie contract. Everyone else uh, wouldn't surprise me if they're gone. I mean, Ryan Griffin is under contract. They extended him last last year, but he could be a cap casualty. Hasn't really panned out this year. Uh, okay, another one. We got at WB underscore Maine. Uh, with all the roughing the passer penalties, does Greg Williams have too much autonomy? And I think the answer is yes. Uh, you know, when the Jets lead the league, in, in roughing penalties, I think it's up to 12 now, which is just utterly ridiculous. It happens time and time again, but this is what you get when you hire a Greg Williams. You know, the, you know he's a good coach, you know, but they, he pushes the envelope with his guys, and you're going to get some discipline-type penalties. But the thing is, he, he Gase won't bench any of the defensive players. He literally won't say to Greg, I want you to sit this guy down because he's not performing or he needs to be disciplined. So that is an inherent flaw in the Jets' structure. And um, yeah, so I would agree with you. Uh, The defensive coordinator has too much autonomy under this uh, coaching staff. And our last question from Nick Ginsburg. Rich, please include a positive segment. A couple of our draft picks are looking really strong Finally, Nick, you're right. I'm going to close this on a positive segment. You already know about Becton. You know how I feel about Becton. I've written a lot about him. He's going to be a really good player. But let's talk about Mims, and I will leave you with this stat. Since he broke into the lineup in week seven, he has averaged 54 yards receiving per game, and that ranks sixth among the rookie receivers, sixth in yards per game since week seven. And that's behind Ayuk of San Francisco, Jefferson, Higgins, Judy, and Pittman. Then you have Mims at 54 yards per game. This is arguably the best wide receiver rookie class in years, maybe decades. And Denzel Mims is sixth after a few games, no training camp, no preseason, of course. So I think that's a bright spot. And we'll leave it right there. Thanks for the question, Nick and everyone else.
This is the fourth quarter, and we're going to end this week with some Thanksgiving positivity regarding the Jets. Now, I know you're thinking, this is a dark time to be a Jet fan. I understand. It's the worst season in franchise history. That is a fact. But I'm going to create some, you know, like I said, some positivity, create some hope here about how things can turn quickly in the NFL. And look no further than the Miami Dolphins, the Jets' opponent on Sunday. A year ago, they were the laughing stock of the NFL. Got off to an 0-7 start. And let's not forget, their first four games, they were outscored by 137 points in the first four games. I mean, they lost a game by 49 points. Things were bleak for the Dolphins. It was the Tank Fatua bandwagon. Everyone was on that bandwagon. It looked like they were going nowhere. They stripped down their roster. It looked hopeless. But look where they are now. There's six and four. Granted, they're coming off a tough loss, but they're in playoff contention. They're only a game behind in the AFC East. And, you know, it's happening fast for the Dolphins. And look, the Jets can learn a couple of things. Last year, the Dolphins had three first-round picks. They took Tua Tagovailoa right there with the fifth pick in the draft. He's in the starting lineup now. He's doing a decent job. They spent a lot of money. In free agency, especially on defense, Byron Jones, Kai Van Noy, Shaq Lawson, they have one of the stronger defenses in the league. And it's it's not an old team. In fact, statistically, they're the one of the younger teams in the league, and they're starting five rookies. So you look at the Jets rookie class, and you're excited. Look at Miami. They're starting five rookies, including three on the offensive line. So I, I think it shows what a GM and a coach on the same page can do. Clearly Miami has a plan. You know, I think they still have a ways to go, especially on offense. And I think they're a little bit of a faux contender. I'd be surprised if they make the playoffs, but nevertheless, they're six and four and we're in late November and they're still dreaming of playoffs one year after a brutal 0-7 start. So yes, there are ways to turn it around quickly in the NFL. The Jets can do it if they hire a good coach after this season, assuming they're in the coaching market. They have the draft capital to do it. They have two first-round picks this year. They have five picks in the first three rounds. They're going to have the cap room. They're going to have, I believe, around $100 million by the time all is said and done. So, yes, it can be done. The Jets, all they have to do is look across the field on Sunday and see the Miami Dolphins are a great example of how they can turn assets and resources and smart moves into a contender in really less than a year. That does it for this week. I want to thank our special guest, Wesley Walker, Jet Great, for stopping by. Thanks to my producer, Jeff Scopin, for putting this all together. Please rate and subscribe us. And I am always open to suggestions, so drop them in the suggestion box because you can find this on any of the ESPN platforms along with Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Rate and subscribe. Give us, a, give us a thought on what you're thinking. And also, want to hear what you're thinking about the Jets. I'll do some Twitter chat a little later in the week to answer some of the questions that I couldn't get to. Thanks again for all those questions. I really appreciate it. And we'll see you next week on Flight Deck. Flight Deck.